We have uh, all elementary-aged children up here with Mr. Dan to go downstairs. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Have you ever felt like God has just rejected you and left you alone? And in the silence, you begin to ask, does God even know who I am? Does God even care about what's going on? Is God even there? And you begin to be overwhelmed by this this looming sense of hopelessness. Like things are just never going to get better. There's no way out. Maybe it's the, all of the student loans that you've acquired and are thinking about, how am I ever going to pay all these off? Or it's the bills that keep adding up. Or your children, you just don't know quite how to fix this problem or, or that problem, and it seems like it's all out of your control. Or relationships keep falling apart, and you think, am I, am I going to be alone forever? Or you just have this sense of, of emptiness inside where you start to agree with the, the teacher in Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, it's all vanity. Maybe you're even too afraid to cry out to God because you're afraid that all you're going to hear in response is that silence. That echoing reminder that maybe God isn't there. And I imagine... Most of us have felt like this at some point in our lives, and maybe even this morning. And I invite you to press in this morning, because I think you're going to find yourself very at home in the book of Psalms. That here in Psalms, we've got people asking the same questions, wrestling with the same doubts and struggles and pains. This morning, uh, we are in our week three of our sermon series through the book of Psalms, and we've been looking at just different categories or types of Psalms. And we've looked at uh, praise, we've looked at thanksgiving, and this week we're looking at lament. And you'll see that here throughout Psalms, this, this, there are, uh, actually uh, over a third of the Psalms are categorized as Psalms of lament, as crying out to God, wrestling through doubt and struggle. And I think we, we see with this that all of us have experienced some kind of hurt or pain at some point in our lives. And it doesn't really matter how big or small it is because pain is like, uh, Viktor Frankl describes like a gas. Like it, it, it doesn't matter how big or small the space is, it always fills the space, right? So you stub your toe, and yeah, it's just your, your toe, but oh, you can't think about anything else because it hurts so bad, right? And this tiny little thing just ta- suddenly takes over your whole world. You can't think about anything else but your big toe. And there's a way in which even the smallest pain seems to, to take over everything else and to fill up the space. Um, which doesn't mean that all pain is, is the same, right? We definitely have things that we consider maybe first world problems, like some of these. Oh, this is, <laughs> this is the way we often treat pain uh, in the church, right? Hey, this is how you're feeling? Well, just, just buck up, you know. Smile some more. But honestly, there's not always 
the way it works. So we can, sorry, go to the next one. That was out of order. Anybody have a new iPhone? Uh, or how about this one? Didn't get, didn't get the cash you were hoping for? Come on, Grandma, give me some. <laughs> I think we have one more here. This one feels a little bit more close to home, maybe. <laughs> right, but so we, we have some problems that maybe aren't really real problems in, in this, the scheme of the grand scheme of the world, but at some level, all of us have experienced real suffering. And the Bible calls us to lament. And what does that mean to lament? Well, the word just means like to moan or to wail, right? It's this very strong sense of expressing grief expressing uh, sort of sorrow. Like, wh why is this happening to me? Why is this horrible thing happening? This is unjust. This is unfair. And calling out to God. And the first point I want to make here is that this lament is necessary. That, again, like in the church, like, like that picture with, with Eeyore, we're, we're often like, no, we should just be happy. Be joyful. But it's not the, the picture we see in Scripture. There are all sorts of things to lament about. In Puerto Rico, for example, there's still thousands, thousands of people who are without roofs. And they've been sending down tarps that people are using as makeshift roofs. And one family tells the story of every time it rains, they have to stay up all night holding broomsticks up to keep the tarp at an angle so the rain doesn't come into the house. And a lot of houses are just now, the walls are covered in mold because there's nothing to keep the water out. And thousands of people are still living like this because of a storm that in a moment destroyed countless lives. We've got things like the, even the Me Too movement just reminding us and bringing to light how many people, how many women on a regular basis are being taken advantage of and hurt by people that they trust and know. There are all so many things for us to lament about, to cry out, this is wrong, this is unjust, this is not okay, this is sad. We have things that we, so many things that are out of our control, that diagnosis about cancer, that suddenly your life could drastically change and there's very little you can do about it. Or maybe it's depression and anxiety and, and nothing you do seems to be able to, to fix this emptiness that you're feeling because bodies are broken and, we, and our minds are broken and we have these illnesses and things that come in and take over. And I think if we, if we look around, we'll see that the world is not a happy place. There are plenty of things to be thankful for and last week we looked at Psalms of Thanksgiving. There's so many wonderful things to praise God for and to be thankful for and to, to look at the beauty around us, but there's also so much hurt. And it is wrong for us not to lament these things. And so I encourage you this morning to find a home for your pain here in the Psalms. Psalm 10 says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long, must, or how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 88 says, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath is swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Have you ever felt like your companions were darkness? These psalms are clearly written by somebody who is very familiar with the misery of life. This is not sugarcoating it. Hey, everything's great all the time. Just be happy. But written by somebody who is well acquainted with suffering. So the Bible is not optimistic, but it's realistic. It takes seriously the brokenness of the world, but it does so with hope. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Would you join me in Psalm 44? It's the passage that was read this morning. There's Bibles under your seat. If you've got an app you want to pull up. Starting in verse 1. It says, O God, we have heard with our ears, and our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. So he's drawing contrast between the people in the land and the Israelites, this, this small people that God pushed out these other people so they could have this land. He says, for not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually. We will give thanks to your name forever. So we see the psalm starts out with, with actually this praise and worship. And it's recounting all this glorious things God has done. Saying, look how faithful God was to us, O Israel. Right? Look at the way he saved our people. He delivered us. He gave us this land. He's taking care of us. It's not in our own weapons or our own strength or anything that we've done, but it's what God has done. It says, in God we have boasted continually. Right? We put all of our boast in him. Look at how great he is. Look at how strong he is. And so it's this, uh, this sort of telling of God's character. God is good. God is strong. Look how, look how sovereign he is. He's in control of all of this, right? He's, he's bigger than our enemies. He's the one who's making all these events work out the way they do. And the psalmist is responding with trust and thanksgiving. But then we see something kind of shocking happen. And this stopped me in my tracks when I first read this. This psalm takes a very dark turn. In verse 9, after recounting all of God's goodness, all of God's faithfulness, everything that he's done for them, the psalmist says, but you have rejected us 
and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. Just, just given them away as if they were worthless. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You've made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. Here the, the people of Israel are experiencing rejection and abandonment by God. This God who was so faithful to them, who had done all these things to, to take care of them and provide for them and rescue them and redeem them, seems to have totally forgotten them. It's suggested this psalm was, was probably written uh, around the year 710 BC, which was when the, the Assyrian army was laying siege to Jerusalem. They had already captured Samaria and taken them captive, and they were laying siege to Jerusalem, to God's holy city, his people, this place that he had given them. And the enemy was surrounding them, trying to take, a, take it all away. And so the psalmist cries out, God, where are you? Why are you letting this happen to us? Your people, who you have been so faithful to, why have you abandoned us? It's necessary that we lament, that we take seriously this, this sense of God seems distant and absent. And again, we, it seems in contrast to a lot of other things in the Bible, like what, what about joy? What about, you know, having peace all the time? And, and, you know, Philippians 4, Paul tells us, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Is this, are we not supposed to rejoice? What does this mean? I think when we lament, we recognize sin and brokenness for what it really is. See, if we don't lament, then what we're doing is we're accepting all of the pain around us as normal. We're saying, this is okay. This is, how, this is just how things are. But when we lament, when we cry out to God, we take seriously the pain. We say, this is not right. This is not okay. This is not how things we're meant to be. God, why are you letting this happen? Because you are good and this is not good. And we take seriously the world that God created as everything that is good. And we recognize the fallenness and the sin that has entered that world. And if we minimize the suffering, then we minimize the hope that God has to speak into that suffering. And so this is the next point as we think about suffering, is that, this, that when we lament, that lamenting is intimately hopeful. It's not this hopelessness and de despair of, God, you've rejected us, and it's all over. Right? And, and there are moments where it feels that kind of finality. But we can't stop there. On this uh, Lenten devotional uh, called Journey to the Cross, there's a really good description of what it means to lament. And the author says this, his lament is not about getting things off your chest. It's about casting your anxieties upon God. 
and trusting him with them. Mere complaining indicates a lack of intimacy with God because lament is a form of prayer. Lament transforms our cries and complaints into worship. Walter Brueggemann says that undergirding biblical lament is a relationship between the lamenter and his God that is so close and deep enough for the protester to speak in imperatives, addressing God as you and reminding him of his covenantal promises. Anyone can complain, and practically everyone does, but Christians can lament. They can talk to God about their condition and ask him to change things because they have a relationship with him. To lament is to be utterly honest before God whom our faith tells us we can trust. Biblical lament affirms that suffering is real and spiritually significant, but not hopeless. In his mercy, our God has given us a form of language that bends his ear and pulls his heart. And this is where lament becomes worship, because it recognizes that we have a God who is in control, who's big enough to be bigger than our suffering, to be bigger than our pain, bigger than our hurt. He's bigger than all of it, and he's in control of all of it, and he's good. His character is one of goodness, and it recognizes the disparity between that God who is good and the reality of our circumstances, and it takes seriously both of those things. And we see this play out in each of those psalms. Going to back to the ones that we, we looked at earlier, and in Psalm 10, it says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Then the psalmist goes on, down in verse 16. It says, The, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from, this, uh, from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that a man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. So it's both crying out, but also, but, but God, you're good, and you will redeem. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? But going on in verse 5, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We see this here in verse 5. I have trusted in your steadfast love. I think this is one of the most important things undergirding these psalms is this idea of God's steadfast love. This word chesed, which uh, if you've been here, we've, we've talked about this before. I think it's one of the most important words in the whole Hebrew Bible, the whole Old Testament, because it's the word that describes God's covenant love, the God's love for Israel when he's committed himself to them, that I am going to be your God and you're going to be my people, no matter what. Because I'm, that, that isn't dependent on you and how good you are or how great you are or how special you are. I'm going to do this. I'm going to love you in this way. I'm going to be faithful to you in this way. And even when God rejects the Israelites as a form of, of punishment and discipline, he does it under this umbrella of his covenant love that says, but I'm going to bring you back because I love you and I care for you. And he brings them back into 
relationship. And so we have this juxtaposition between experiencing God's rejection on one hand in our very real circumstances, but also having this faith and trust in the unchanging character and nature of God, this contrast of character and circumstance. And so through this, we see that, that this lament is, is intimately hopeful because God is near, God is close to his people. Continuing on in, in Psalm 44, we're down in verse 17. It says, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you and we have not been false to your covenant. Again, this just so struck me, this, this what feels like such injustice in these circumstances. The psalmist is even recognizing, like, we haven't even disobeyed you, God. We haven't done what you commanded us not to do. Our hearts have not turned back. Our steps have not departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Even if we had done wrong, God, you would know that. That's how intimate, that's how close you are, as you know when we're unfaithful to you. You would know if we were going astray. And yet, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. What boldness. What boldness to cry out to God. God, awake. Why are you sleeping? Why aren't you hearing my cry? Why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you responding? So you see, there's, there's this intimacy here that God, God is someone he can address and talk to. God, God you're th- I know you're there. I know you can hear me. Why aren't you answering? Because of that, that covenant love, the psalmist can demand a response from God. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our house, help, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. So both we see in there this this idea that God knows the secrets of the heart, that he's intimate, he's close. But there's also this, this call, God, redeem us, because of your steadfast love, your chesed covenant love. You promised that you were going to be near to us. You promised that you were going to save us. So I'm trusting in that promise. Even though everything in my circumstances right now feels like you've totally abandoned us. It feels like you've totally rejected us. But I know who you are. I know that you're near us, even if I can't feel it. And I know that you've promised to take care of me, even though it doesn't seem like it's happening right now. And so I'm putting my trust in that. God's character and his covenant are unchanging. And so this lament, this intimate, hopeful lament, becomes worship to God. If you're here this morning and you're, and you're not a Christian, I would challenge you to, to, to come and to meet this God. This God who draws near, who's intimate and close. This God who's in control. This God who is good and gives us hope. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, while we were totally separated from God, 
We were enemies of God, totally undeserving of his love. That's when he came and gave his life for us. And so if you're here this morning and you're thinking about and you're just feeling the weight of your own sin and brokenness, you think, God, God could never love me. I can, who am I to come before God? Or I feel rejected by God. Maybe God doesn't, that's why I feel rejected, because God doesn't love me. He's far from me because of this thing that I've done. I've, I've turned him away. But I want you to know this morning that nothing you can do is bigger than his love for you as displayed on the cross. And that you can come before him and be received into his arms. And if you're here and a believer and you ask, well, why, why do I experience this, this juxtaposition between this God who I know is, loves me and is intimate and close, and yet so often he feels so far away? And one friend kind of gave me this image, this analogy of, of say, a, a parent and a child who are walking together. And, and the parent is holding the child in their arms, and, and it's close and intimate and warm, and maybe the child's resting their head on the parent's chest, and, and they're walking along, and it's this, this wonderful, deep intimacy. But then, I don't know, maybe your arms get tired or something, and, and you put the child down next to you, and, and you're still walking along together, but all of a sudden there's this distance. There's, it seems like this, this, this loss of intimacy, this loss of, maybe the child even feels kind of rejected, like, why aren't you holding me anymore? Pick me up again. And yet, nothing about the relationship has changed. The love of that parent for that child is no different when the child is in their arms and when the child is walking side by side. And yet, the experience of the relationship feels very, very different. And I think as we go through our, our Christian walk, there are going to be moments where you're going to feel like that child in the arms of your father. And it's going to be rich and sweet and intimate, and you're going to know God's nearness in a, a very real, experiential way. And then there are going to be times where you're going to be walking beside him, and you're going to feel alone. And you're going to have to just trust and hold out your hand and say, God, I know you're still there, even though I don't feel you right now. We can't mistake God's silence for his absence in our lives. And this is because we have a God who's familiar with suffering. This is not a God who, who came down to earth so that you could have your best life now, so that he could free you from all your hurts and all your troubles. This is a God who entered into our pain, not to save us so that we wouldn't suffer, but so that we would never suffer alone. In Mark uh, 15, Jesus is hanging on the cross. The God Second person of the Trinity, God himself has come down in flesh to walk among us, to experience everything that it is to be human. And as an innocent man is put to death, executed on a brutal Roman cross, and he's hanging there on the cross, and Mark says this, he says, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So this is from noon to 3 p.m. This is middle of the afternoon. It just gets dark. Darkness just settles down in the land. And it says, At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in this moment, God himself experiences what we experience as human beings. Now, within, within himself, within the Trinity, 
God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there, there can be no division. But in his human consciousness, Jesus there as a man is experiencing the final ultimate rejection from God. It's really the, the rejection um, of, of hell, right? The final rejection, that there is no more redemption, there is no more hope. Jesus is experiencing this total abandonment from God. And yet even in this moment of abandonment, uh, most people agree that, that he's, Jesus is also quoting from Psalm 22. So he's both lamenting and he's recalling back God's faithfulness. And this is Psalm 22. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. But the psalm continues on in verse 22. It says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. And so here on the cross, Jesus is experiencing this finality of rejection from God. He's totally cut off from God. And yet there's this hope in his cry that God hears him. Going into this with this hope that, and I, and I think even as a human, Jesus didn't have the kind of certainty that he was going to rise three days later, right? Like he, he knew that, it was prophesied, he'd said it, he's like, yeah, I'm going to rise in three days. But hanging there on the cross, experiencing all of that, the, the, and hoping, God, I'm hoping, I'm trusting that you're going to redeem all of this. But in this moment, I just feel totally forsaken. But he knew that God was good and that God would make a way. And so both on the cross, we have this God experiencing our suffering, but we also have hope because of the resurrection. Because the resurrection shows us that death does not have the final say. That suffering does not have the final say. That suffering in our world is not okay. It's not good. It's not right. It's not the way things were supposed to be. But God is going to make it new. He's going to raise the dead. He's going to heal the broken and the sick. He's going to fix that which has been destroyed. And so what I want to call us to this morning is that we as a church would learn to lament. That we would learn how to lament. And that part of that would be not being afraid to enter into the brokenness of the world around us. I'll confess, I don't, I don't like watching the news because I get overwhelmed by all the things I have no control over. Horrible things. Every time I, well, I say flip the TV, I don't watch, <laughs> go on my computer or something, and 
and see just atrocities that are happening around the world, and I just feel overwhelmed. And I want to flip to the next thing, something easy, something that doesn't call on me to feel grief and sorrow, because I don't know how to deal with that. It's too much for me. But it's not too much for God. And I would encourage you to not switch tabs, to not go to something else, something easy, but to, to stay there in that place for that moment and to lift that up, to cry out to God and say, God, why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting this war continue and these innocent people be killed? Why are you letting this famine destroy this country? Why are you letting these people be taken advantage of, the powerless fed upon by the powerful? To cry out to God for justice as a, as a church, that as we gather, we would come together and to recognize the things that are wrong in this world and to cry out to God for justice together. But also as individuals, if you're experiencing this morning that, that sense of overwhelming hopelessness, like my life, I just don't see how this is ever going to get better. Right? The, de- the depression is setting in and it just feels like there's no way out. I would invite you to to pray through these psalms, to walk with the psalmist through this this struggle of of doubt and fear and pain, but also hope. Hope that somehow in the midst of the darkness, God is still light, and even the dark is not dark to him. That just as we sang in those first two songs, that yes, God is near. He's he's, He's the one putting breath in our lungs so we can even breathe and be alive even though you may not feel alive right now. And so let's together take seriously the hurts in our world and to pray and cry out to God on behalf of them, both on one another, for the, each one another individually and also for the things out there that recognize that we have a God who is sovereign and good, but that our world is not the way it's supposed to be. And to cry out for God to come and fix it. In a moment, uh, we're going to transition over, and as we do that, I want to invite you to come into a place of lament. Whatever it is that God puts on your heart, whether it's something personal that's going on, someone in your life, somebody who's sick, someone who's struggling, someone who, who doesn't know the Lord, maybe it's something out that's happening out there, right, P- Puerto Rico and the hurricanes or conflicts that are happening around the world to be lifting those things up now, coming before God in this place of brokenness and lamenting before him. As we do this, uh, the band has been playing through a, a rendition of Psalm 42, which is another psalm of lament, a cry out to God. But the, the, the words of the psalm, he, he cries out God, to God, but then he says, I, I'm satisfied in you, even in this place of emptiness and, dis- and what feels like despair in this moment. I have hope because you are enough. And so I invite you during this time, as we come up to, to take the bread and the cup. You see, Jesus, when he came down to walk among us, to take on all the things human exper- humans experience, He gave up himself for us. He gave up his body, broken, for us. 
for us to remember when we eat this bread and his blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. That when we drink this cup, we would remember that we have a God who is intimately acquainted with our suffering. A God who brings hope into suffering, not by just making it all better right now or telling us to, to just feel better about it, but by actually walking in it and taking it all onto himself by experiencing the pain that we experience. Not so we would never have to experience it, but so that we would never have to experience it alone. So if you're here this morning and, and you, you are a Christian and you know that God who is intimate and close and good, then I invite you to come up and to take, to receive the bread and to take the cup and to remember his cry at the cross that he knows you're suffering and then to cry out to him. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you haven't experienced that God, then I encourage you right now just to remain in your seat, to think, to pray. Maybe this is your opportunity to, to cry out, God, God, if you're real, speak to me. Hear my cry. I want to know you. I want to know that you're good. And, and I would love to, to talk to you afterwards or if you have any questions, uh, find somebody else in this, that you know here is a Christian and just ask them, what is it like to, to have hope even in your darkest moments? And while that's going on, there'll be some people at the back who would love to pray with you. Uh, so please feel free to come back for that as well. So I'm going to pray and invite uh, communion servers up. So would you please join me? Father, we recognize that you are, you are the good Father. That you are a good God who is in control of all of our circumstances, even when it feels totally out of control and totally over our heads. Lord, I pray that this morning we would experience your presence, Lord. We would experience the intimacy. For those of us who are feeling like you are far away, like you are distant, Lord, may you make yourself draw near to us this morning that we would know just the intimacy of your spirit dwelling within us. And may we have hope, God, as we cry out to you on behalf of all of those who are hurt and broken in our world because of the damaging effects of sin. Lord, we put our hope in your cross and your resurrection. And we give you worship this morning as we cry out to you. And in Jesus' name, amen.